We made this. Welcome to the Starlight Ballroom. Hey. Hello and welcome to Shipwrecked and Comatose, the podcast about Red Dwarf here on the We Made This Podcast Network. And we are into our specials between Series 5 and Series 6. And my name is Mark Adams. I am your regular host. With me at this time is, for the first time, as a guest, Rob Yeomans. Hello, Rob. Hello, Mark. How the devil are you? I'm really well. It's nice to have you on Shipwrecked and Comatose. It's been a while since we've podcasted together, actually. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here and it's lovely to chat to you again. It's It feels like it's been uh, almost a lifetime since we last had a chat. I think it's about 12 months and our chat was on Don't Say the C Word, which is kind of how, for people that don't know, kind of how Shipwrecks and Comatose came about. I had a chat about Red Dwarf with Kurt and afterwards we were like, do you want a podcast about Red Dwarf? You're all right. And so, um, that, that, so we didn't quite managed to come up with a new podcast we had a conversation about crisps exactly yeah we didn't change the podcasting landscape but we certainly put the world to rights about crisps (laughs) and snacks (laughs) (laughs) for people who are interested in what both rob and my top 10 crisps are we i will post that up on our twitter at some point after this episode goes live because who doesn't want to listen to 30 minutes with two idiots talking about crisps. I mean, it's pretty essential listening, I would say, for anyone who needs to get to know you better, Mark, your regular listeners. I'm sure it would add some context and flavour, as it were. I think so. I, th- I think it's pure gold content, to be honest with you. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> Rob, tell me about you. You are the host of Cinemortuary. Tell me about Cinemortuary. I am, yes. So I'm the host of Cinemortuary, along with my esteemed colleagues, Dave and Chris. Um, and we are on a mission to basically try and outdo each other uh, in the world of terrible horror sequels and remakes. Um, so we basically take it in turns in picking a uh, sequel, prequel or remake of a horror movie. And our mission is to find the most delightfully entertaining but terrible trash, um, which has taken us <laughs> on, a, on a long and winding journey through the horoscope. I've seen some of the, the choices you've made on Cinemortuary, and you do put each other through some absolute tat. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's usually Dave. It's usually Dave, to be honest with you. He's the he's the ringleader of the real, real shit. <laughs> I did have a... Um... A stint on a B-movie podcast myself, but that's unfortunately not running any longer. So your Cinemortuary was definitely something that I've always enjoyed on our network. And there's loads of good stuff on our network, and I'm really crap at promoting it. So Cinemortuary, we made this podcast network. Horror films, dead good, innit? Bless you, sir. That's very kind. (laughs) So before we get into it, oh, I haven't said what we're talking about. I've just, uh, this is Rob. This is what we're talking about. Shit. So what we're talking about today is a little bit obscure, but Rob is the right person to have on for it because he hosted the mortuary. In series four of Red Dwarf, there is, I don't even know if they did it legally. I wonder if it was actually kind of public domain at that point. 
But in series four of Red Dwarf, in the episode Meltdown, they use some footage from a Japanese giant monster film. And it was even in the theme tune. Every week, for six weeks, there was a clip from this monster film from Japan. And that film was Gappa the Trifibian Monster. And so that's what we're talking about today. We've used it as an excuse for Rob and me to get together and talk shit about monster films. Yeah, I mean, it's first thing to note about this film is what a title that is. I mean, you know. <laughs> yes, it is. They don't make them like that anymore, do they? Well, not unless they're taking the piss, which this film wasn't. But I just, I think as tenuous links for specials go, I have outdone myself. Oh yeah, 100%, 100%. But do you know what? That is uh, that is a tribute to your commitment to the Red Dwarf verse and research therein, my friend. Yeah, and um, so 14 seconds into this series four credits, there is what looks like a giant bird head laughing. That's about two seconds of footage, and that is in the theme tune. Six minutes and 40 seconds into the episode Meltdown, there's about six seconds of footage from the (laughs) film. It's about as tenuous as you can get. But you've gone for it, Mark, and that's all that matters. Well, what the context was, if you've not seen Meltdown, shame on you, this is a Red Dwarf podcast, but what the context was, was that they landed in a wax world where all of the people there were wax droids, and there was a prehistoric world, and that's where they landed. And the clips from Gappa the Trifibian Monster were supposed to be the dinosaurs in that prehistoric world. And Crichton describes them as feeble and improbable, and more convincing dinosaurs are given away with a packet of Wheaty Flakes. All of which is very true, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, that's why we're talking about this film. That's why we've put it on the uh, shipwrecked and comatose. And for anyone who's going, what the actual fuck, all I can say is YOLO. There's a reason, guys. There's always a reason. It may be tenuous, but it is there. (laughs) I think we need a word to describe tenuous within tenuous. But anyway, before we start talking about Gappa the Trifibian Monster, you do have to go through your officer's exam, Rob. Very good, sir. Yeah. So these are our six fiendish questions that increase in difficulty as we go along. And they're all questions about your relationship with Red Dwarf. Are you ready? I am ready and willing, sir. Okay, so question one is, when did you first discover Red Dwarf, or do you have a first memory of the show? Uh, So Red Dwarf is one for me that it's kind of um, crossed in and out of my life at various points over the years. Um, First memories, probably, I would say, somewhere around about 2000, 2001. Um, Not to give away my age too much, but I am going to give away my age completely. (laughs) I am uh, the same age as Red Dwarf, precisely. Good grief. It premiered almost 
um, exactly around the time I was born. So by the time I kind of got to grips with it as a as a sort of concept, I guess it was early two thousands. Um, and then I had a pretty decent revisit of it when the series came back. Well, was it six, six, seven years ago? I don't know. How long ago was it when it came back now? I think it was longer than that. I mean, it depends if you're talking about the really quite bad Back to Earth or the stuff that I haven't watched. Right. Okay. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm going to have, have a little scooch now and I'll tell you when the uh, rewatch took place. I feel like it was around about 2015, 2016. So I think it was kind of there's been a few returns uh, of Red Dwarf, hasn't there? But I think there was, there, yeah. was, there was perhaps a new series round about then that caught my eye, and uh, I had a, a decent a decent run through some of it then. So I've actually been banned from watching the stuff that's been made by Dave because we want me to go in with a fresh look when right. we look at the Dave stuff. But as I've done this podcast, because I really fucking love Red Dwarf, I'm like quite resentful of that (laughs) (laughs) so you've seen more red dwarf than i have well oh i don't know about that sir i think that would be pushing it but um i've I've seen uh... seen more episodes you may not have watched them as many times but you've seen more episodes of red dwarf than i have but you've got such such wonderful stuff to come i'm sure I've been told that there's some wonderful stuff to come. Yes, yeah, it's um, it's a little bit hit and miss, the newer stuff, I think. I mean, it was very miss with Down to Earth, which I did watch. That was, I'm not looking forward to covering that, but I am looking forward to covering the stuff we haven't seen. Sure. Anyway, have you found the facts? Your date when you last watched Red Dwarf? Uh, yes, I am just trying to figure it out now because it was between it was between one or two of these series i think i'm gonna go with there i think it was about 20 i'm gonna say 2015 committing to 2015 was when okay. i uh, when i when i tripped back into it and are you fond of it as a series would you say i am it is it's it's not it's not something i've ever watched religiously but it i do admire its quintessential Britishness in its sort of unique take on science fiction. It's very whimsical and it's very fun and it's very easy to watch. So I do, I do admire it. Mm. Okay. Well, question two is what's your favorite episode? Have you watched enough to have one? Um, If you can describe it, I'll probably be able to tell you what it is. If it's in the first six series. It was in the first six series. I think it was in series four, uh, which is one I've got that sort of the most attachment to uh, mm. out of the stuff I've watched so far, um, which is why I kind of knew the reference uh, for Meltdown because that's an episode that I've seen before. I th- I'm just looking at that series now. White Hole. I think White Hole is one of my favourites. Uh, from that The one where Holly becomes super intelligent. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. That was uh, that was good fun. That sort of jumps out on me. But that that entire series, I think, is is amongst the best. It's in my opinion, anyway. It's it's right up there. Well, you've actually accidentally answered question three, which is what is your favourite season? Oh, season four. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your favourite character? That's question number four. My favourite character. I mean, it's that's quite a tough question because they they all have their they all have their things that I enjoy about them. Uh, mm. But I, I'm gonna have to say, 
I, I, I know it's it's uh, it's probably the obvious answer, but I am a Rimmer guy. I, I am I, he, Chris Barry is outstanding throughout the most of the series. Even the even the sort of very wibbly wobbly newer stuff that I've seen, he is consistently very entertaining. Rimmer has got a lot of love on this podcast, and I think um, he is ahead. I think he's had the most favorite characters sure. so I, far. I can I can see why. Uh, question five is: What's your favorite moment in the entire run? Have you ever got a favorite clip or scene or joke? Oh my goodness! Now you are putting me on the spot. I did say they get progressively harder. Favorite red dwarf moment? Um, goodness me! Goodness me! Oh, God. Did oh, I don't know? I don't know. I, I can remember a moment with Rimmer and Death. Uh, and I can remember was there was there a, a talking toaster once? Um, there was. Yeah, I think the talking toaster stand stands out to me. So I'll probably <laughs> I'll probably go with the talking toaster. Yeah, because he was pretty obnoxious. And yeah, exactly. Always, want, always wanted to cook you a bready product. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the talking t- and it's it's also I think very again quintessentially British, but also quintessentially slightly strange um, red dwarf type behaviour. <laughs> so your sixth question is the most difficult are you ready for it oh my god i don't know if i am but hit me would you like some toast always <laughs> <laughs> so that is normally where we get into the chat but obviously because we're talking about monster films i thought it'd be quite useful to get a little bit of background on not just you but also on me and our love of kind of toho style cinema so we're both going to answer the, uh, the, it's not an officer's exam, it's only three questions, but we're both going to answer these questions, but you should go first. Okay. So how did you get into monster films? I have to be honest. Uh, the, the reason I got into monster films initially was um, the 1998 version of Godzilla, which is very embarrassing oh, yeah. to admit to. It is, but then I grew and developed and mm. discovered the sort of classic universal monster films, which are, are probably my favourites. Um, you know, I'm a huge, huge admirer of all, all the sort of original universal franchises. Um, yeah. And that kind of bled into uh, the sort of 50s kind of, you know, creature features and, and sort of, you know, creatures from another world type movies and all that side of it. And then sort of carried carried over to you know once you get into these streams of discovering monster movies, inevitably you you know you visit the Toho stuff and the and the original Godzilla movies. Um, so that was kind of my 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 path. Shamefully, Jamiroquai was my uh, gateway into uh, monster cinema. To be fair, the Jamiroquai song is an absolute banger. Oh yeah, absolute banger, absolute banger. The Puff Daddy song as well. That's a banger as well. Yeah, it did. It was one of those. I was I was talking to a friend of mine about this quite recently. Actually, um, we're reminiscing over nineties um, music from and inspired by soundtracks, not scores. You you know, you still get scores, obviously, but you you don't get music from and inspired by soundtracks anymore. And I feel like we need to bring it back. You know, I mean, stuff like Kiss from a Rose from the Batman film and all that sort of stuff. That's what we yeah. need back, Mark. That's what we need back. I couldn't agree more. And um, to this day, I quite often still use aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, as an affirmative, because I'm a fucking idiot. Well, <laughs> you see, it lives with you, though, doesn't it? These things live with you, and that's why we live Uh-huh, it. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that film is terrible, but I'm glad that it sent you on a journey. For me, it was 
a cartoon series when I was a kid called Godzilla and Godzuki, I think, or it might have just been called Godzilla. It was basically Godzilla as a dad and Godzuki was his child. And um, yeah, I just loved it as a kid. And then I just randomly saw a Godzilla VHS in HMV and I was like, wait a minute, there are films of Godzilla and Godzuki. And so slowly but surely, with my very limited teenage budget, I kept buying these VHSs of, like, all the monster films. The original Godzilla, Destroy All Monsters, uh, the one with the giant lobster that's named Ebira, maybe, um, Mecha Godzilla. And I remember vividly that Destroy All Monsters was Zero plot, Monster Smackdown, ace. And Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. I had to pretend I was 15 to buy it. And I was like, why the fuck is Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla a 15? And the reason for it is about six seconds of tits. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is literally a Godzilla film, same kind of style, same kind of level of inanity. One of the ladies gets her tits out for about six seconds. And that's what makes it a 15. There's no swearing. There's no nothing. There's just some tits. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one of the things I love about these films in general is that something so innocuous as that um, lifts the uh, certification up in such a way. Because for the most part, these kind of movies are very innocent and very yeah. whimsical and very, they're just fun. You know, and and a lot of them do take themselves a little bit seriously, but that's kind of part of the fun. But then others don't. I mean, as as we go with with Gapper, I mean it. It's a giant parrot, essentially. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it what it is. Uh, yeah, 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 it is. Um, so the next question is: Which monster's your favourite? Oof. Oof, oof, oof. Um, I've always had a soft spot for Mothra. If we're going giant monsters, I would go with Mothra. You go with Mothra. You see, I thought always thought Mothra was a bit shit. Sorry. You cheeky bastard. Well, my favourite is King Ghidorah. You've got a fucking butterfly <laughs> or a three-headed, electric-breathed, golden fucking dragon. I'm sorry. King Ghidorah is fucking ace. What, what are you doing with your fucking moth? A lot of people are fucking scared of moths and butterflies, my friend. Oh, yeah. that's true. That is true. And imagine all the dust. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Imagine the cleanup operation afterwards. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So I loved King Ghidorah so much that at the ripe old age of 16, when I first got to get to a computer, I set up my first ever Hotmail address. And some motherfucker had already got King Ghidorah at Hotmail.com. So I was King Ghidorah123 at Hotmail.com. And that seemed like such a good idea as a kid. Like, wow, my email address is a Godzilla buddy. I'm so cool. When you're 42 and half of your IDs on everything are King Ghidorah123, suddenly you look a bit of a twat. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you've, you've you kind of just got to own your geekiness sometimes, haven't you? And just say, fuck it, do you know what? I am what I am. You used to be able to type in King Ghidorah123, no spaces, into Google, and you would get pages and pages of me 
and profiles on various things slowly but surely have kind of moved away from that. But if you do, you get my current YouTube channel, my Pinterest I never used, and a 20-year-old RPG game contact list that has my fucking address from when I was 24 on it. Good God, really? The world... Yep. GDPR was a different thing back then, you know. It, it really, really was. <laughs> yeah, so I'm old enough to have done, like, play-by-email games, which just hardly exist anymore. And it was a random thing from that that someone must have paid for a forever license for because it's not gone down. And it's got my address from when I just finished university. I mean, Jesus. shit. Yeah, I mean, can you can you imagine that kind of info like being readily available online now? I mean, I know yours is there still, but imagine if that was the culture still. It would be wild. I mean, I, I don't think I care. At the end of the day, I haven't lived there in nearly 20 years. So, you know. You're pretty safe, you would have thought. You're pretty yeah. Safe. I've had four addresses since then. And, and what are they, Mark? Just out of interest. What are the last oh, right. Okay. So, um, 69... Acacia Avenue, um, no. Um, <laughs> you've thrown me off now. No, question three, what's your favourite film? What's your favourite monster film? Giant monster film, your favourite Toho-style film? Oof. I mean, that is that is a tough question. Um, is it Godzilla from 2001? Uh, negatory, no it's not. Um <laughs> Uh, obviously, as a Mothra fan that you've just uh, you've just nailed me for there, I quite like uh, quite like Mothra versus Godzilla from '64. Mm. I quite like the Godora uh, your 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 pick Godora the three headed monster again from '64. Another classic. wonderful film. Yeah, another classic. Um, I, I quite like a couple of the sort of slightly naff '80s run um, stuff like the Return of Godzilla is always. Yeah good fun to watch um so yeah they're the ones that kind of jump out for me i think i i, I didn't look at what year it came out because that would have involved effort but for me it is the original destroy all monsters there is zero plot they just get all the suits from all the old films that they've done they put them on an island and they have a rumble and what is not to love about that no not, not there is nothing not to love about that. That's the only time I've ever seen a monster called Angilas. I couldn't work out where he'd come from, what film he'd been in, but he's basically a giant hedgehog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, that's the thing about Toho films is basically at some point throughout their history of making these cinematic masterpieces, they've pretty much. <laughs> They pretty much turned every animal you can imagine into some kind of giant version of itself by now. I, I still think Hedgehog is pushing it. Yeah, I mean, that's right up there. That's God tier. I mean, to be fair, Giant Hedgehog versus Giant Moth, my money would go on the Hedgehog. Well, of course. Of course. I mean, it's got those it's got those Hedgehog <laughs> spikes, hasn't it, as a as defence mechanism? Exactly. Exactly. I, I mean... Good. Right, I think that's enough of that. Should we actually have a chat about Gappa the Triphibian Monster? Let's do it. Let's talk about it. So 
So Gappa the Trifibian Monster was released in Japan in 1967 and it never got a cinematic release in the US or the UK. It was converted to a TV movie and dubbed in the US and renamed Gappa Monster from a Prehistoric Planet. And I didn't have the willpower to watch both versions. So we decided between us, Rob and I, that we would watch Gappa Monster from a Prehistoric Planet because we thought the dub might be funny. Yeah, which it, which it, and it did not disappoint, if I'm honest with you. Oh, no, the dub was shite. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing is, all dubs are shite. Yeah, but if, you, if you're going to dub if you're gonna dub a film, then you, you need to make it hilariously shite. Otherwise, there's no point. Yeah, I agree. So I am going to give the shortest of synopsises that I wrote as I was watching it. A group of Japanese reporters find a baby monster on a remote island. They capture him and take him back to Japan to become an attraction. The baby's parents head to Japan for revenge and to find their baby and they smash shit up. The military attack them but fail miserably. The only way to save the world, well Japan, is to return the baby and then mum, dad and baby head off peacefully. Do you feel like I've missed anything with the plot of that film? No, I feel like you've summed that up perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. <laughs> I mean, the thing I loved most about this film as an overarching is it's basically, like you say, a group a group of guys do a bad thing. They take they take the Gappa's ch- child back to Japan and the Gappa are pissed off about this, so I want the child back. And there's like sections throughout this film where um, a one of the one of the um, tribal children from the island who seems to get tagged along throughout this process, who was uh, who was horrendously blacked up in the. Oh, I was going to talk about the blacking up I mean, in more detail, yeah. but it's just the worst. But but they yeah. also, you're right, they kidnap the boy as well as the. Yeah. Um, as well as the Gapper baby. Yeah, they kidnap the boy, and the boy basically incrementally throughout the film says, guys, do you know what? Really, like, the way to stop this is probably just to give him the baby back and let him go. And like, no, 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 no. We've got to do something sciencey. No, we don't need to do that. And then 10 minutes later, the kid will be like, guys, like, I know I've mentioned this, but I just think you should give him the baby back. Uh, and they're like, no, no, small child, you go over there. You know, and this, and this kind of punctuates pretty much all the way through the film until right at the end they go, do you know what? I've had a great idea. Let's just give them the baby back. And the kid's like, I fucking told you so many times. It's it's just, I mean, they're supposed to be educated people. These are journalists and scientists. And it's so obvious. It's so obvious. Give them the baby back. They'll be fine. And they get an hour and a half out of this. And that is a limited plot to get an hour and a half of footage out of. Oh, fuck yeah, absolutely. I mean, commitment to draining the well, I would say, on the plot front. Yeah. How did you watch this? I watched it on YouTube. I watched it on uh, on my fire stick, on the telly, on YouTube, yesterday afternoon. How did you watch this, Mark? Did you do that as well? Well, yes. I assume it's public domain, because the one I've watched has been on YouTube for nine years. So you'd think if they gave a shit they'd have took it down by now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share that link on our socials for people to watch Gapper as well. But there is a USA Blu-ray release from last year, which I did consider buying, but then it was £20.76 on Amazon, and I was like, nah, I'll watch it on YouTube. 
Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I can't imagine any copyright holder is, is going to hunt you down for uh, sharing Gap of the Triphibian Monster anytime soon. I think maybe they have slightly higher priorities. So I think you're safe, Mark, on that one. And, and, and if it is a public domain film, which I think it must be if it was used in Red Dwarf, yeah. then they can't stop yeah. you from watching it like that. No, you're just sharing the love. You're sharing the love is what you're doing. Yeah. You can't take down Le Voyage dans la Lune from YouTube, so you probably can't take down Gap of the Triphibian Monster. Yeah, no, it's one hundred percent. It is public domain. It has to be. Mm. But, but but like like you see various different versions of I don't know. Pick a book by Charles Dickens. Pickwick Papers. It's the same. Five companies could potentially release a DVD of of Gap of the Triphibian Monster. Five companies probably shouldn't, but they could. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, the, the most famous example of this is obviously um, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, where mm. nobody ever, ever signed that bit of paper um, to secure all the copyrights to it. And so as a result, I can release a version of Night of the Living Dead if I see fit, which is, I mean, if you think about it, shocking, you know, for a film that was released in 1968 and has, and has been abused and abused for the last 20, 30 years by anybody who fancies making a quick book. And poor Romero never saw a dime out of that film, barely. Uh, extraordinary. But, I, I, yeah, he made some money from the sequels, though. Hopefully. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he made it back with the sequels. Bless him. Thank God, eh? Otherwise, imagine if that was his only successful film and that happened to it. It was that. It's, it's a hell of a film. Yeah. It really is. But th- th- too good quality for Cinemortuary. Oh, it's not a sequel either, is it? No, exactly. It's we've So we covered the remake of Night of the Living Dead uh, from the early 90s some time ago. But yeah, Night of the Living Dead is, is sacred and unavailable to us. But technically... <laughs> Technically, Dawn and Day could qualify, I think. I'm sure Dave has his eye on that for some point or another because he's a a Romero devotee, so I'm sure it'll happen. Brilliant. Let's go back to the dubbing. Ever since Kung Pao, I just cannot watch anything dubbed because they spotted the cheesiness and the kind of quite samey voices that seemingly all the American dubbing actors do and then put them onto Kung Pao. And that's what they all fucking sound like on anything dubbed by Americans. Yeah. No, agree. But at the same time, like, yeah, it takes you completely, you can't take any of these films seriously when you watch them anymore. But similarly, it is quite funny. Uh, yeah. You know, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it, it's near impossible to take, take any of them seriously. I wrote down to describe the accents of the dubbing as generic Americans and racial stereotypes. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think there's much more to say about it other than it was a deliberate choice by us to make the film more silly and more funny was we expected bad dubbing when we got the dubbed version and we did. <laughs> yeah, we, it certainly delivered, didn't it? You know, we, we cannot say it didn't. So... When I was reading up on this film, it said that the special effects weren't particularly well regarded. But I thought that the volcano stuff was quite good. Yeah, I thought it was fun. You know, it, it didn't strike me as, as, as beneath the standard of, of other, other films produced of this type around that time that I've seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they're a little bit shonky. They're a little bit, you know, we, we all know where Power Rangers got some of their ideas from in the 90s. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's... Um, it's, it's got that it's got that sort of 
that playfulness to it, that kind of childlike kind of sweetness that you kind of forgive the fact that it's clearly someone's science project volcano that they're filming and it's clearly the size of a, a work a work desk in a, a workshop somewhere. But, you know, it, it, I, f- I found it quite endearing, like as I do with a lot of these kind of films and their effects. Yeah, and I think as we're on a Red Dwarf podcast, something we always gush about is the model work of the first six series of Red Dwarf. And that is outstanding. And it is better than this. But for 1967, yeah. the model work in this, I, I I don't see where the where you could say it was anything other than good quality. Yeah, it was perfectly acceptable, I think, for the time. It was it was fun, you know. It was fun. I mean, is it the best example of the, the model work at the time in these films? No, but I certainly wouldn't say it's um, particularly shonky in any way. So, the next thing I wanted to talk about, which we have touched on, is everyone at the We Made This Podcast Network do not endorse blackface. We would like to make that very clear. And I'll be honest, I hadn't seen this film before I put it on our list of specials. And it did make me really uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I would obviously like to second that. You know, we we, we at the Cinemortuary podcast also uh, do not condone these methods. And it's... Yeah, this is something that I also haven't seen. It's a difficult one. I mean, I would I would always say that pretending these things aren't there and, and didn't happen uh, is not what I believe to be the best way to go about it. I think we have to we have to acknowledge that these things uh, were wrong and they occurred and call it out when we see it. And obviously, yeah. you know, those who don't learn the lessons from the past are doomed to repeat them, as a wise man once said. But yeah, of course, it is. Uh, it is pretty, pretty bad. I sat there and there was this, obviously there was a native tribe from this, did they, I think it was supposed to be close to Easter Island, I think it was supposed to be. And I was like, is that blackface? Please don't be blackface. Oh, fuck, it's blackface. And obviously they were using Japanese actors and then blackfacing them. And what really annoyed me was that they had a white character later on and they brought in an American actor. And I was like, uh, sorry, a white American actor. And I was like, if you could do that, you could have brought in some black people. The stereotyping was pretty grim as well, but the the blackface, it's just blah, 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 okay for the time. And we do talk about how there is stuff in Red Dwarf that you absolutely wouldn't, shouldn't, and couldn't do now, like some of... Like the, the one I always go to is the animal cruelty where they use live fish and take them out of water and they're flapping around on the floor. But there's also some unpleasant homophobia in one of the fondest regarded episodes of Red Dwarf. And this is 80s and 90s, whereas this is the 60s. We're not saying it's okay, but we're saying that whilst that behaviour was wrong at the time, it was less frowned upon than it is now, I think. 
Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, on, on Cinemortuary, we recently covered a, a film for, called The Food of the Gods from 1976. And your, your comment there actually about, about the animal stuff from Red Dwarf put me in mind of that because there was some sequences, uh, a flooding sequence involving what were in the story giant rats um, and they all got washed away by a dam breaking and there was a, an element of, of, of real rats really drowned uh, in that scene. And obviously these things are, oh, are yeah, unpleasant to see. And, you know, thankfully, we, we don't live in that world anymore. But, um, no. you know, we, we have to acknowledge it. And I think it's quite it's quite quite bold of you guys to be so honest about those issues within Red Dwarf yeah. on a Red Dwarf podcast. Because, of course, the folks who want to listen to a Red Dwarf podcast uh, probably just want to listen about how brilliant everything is um, in the world of Red Dwarf. And I think, to you know, it's credit to you guys that you kind of have to, you know, and that you do temper it like that. I think you have to acknowledge these things. Otherwise, you are deliberately avoiding something that is important. And again, animal cruelty is something that I can't stand. And, you know, you wouldn't get away with that now any more than you get away with blackface now. Not that I'm suggesting anyone should be getting away with any bad shit, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, for sure. There's also some rather unpleasant casual sexism in this film as well. Yeah, right up until the end. Oh, the ending. Oh, and it's like the 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 only female scientist all the way through is basically in the same way as that the the child is just ignored, and then it ends. Just kind of turns around and says, "Well, I think I'm going to go to the kitchen now and spend my life there instead and have a husband." You're, you're paraphrasing, but it is as grim as that. Yeah, no, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's almost. I'm not saying that's word for word. What what she delivers but it's pretty much word for word what she delivers. Oh it's basically I'm, I've learnt that I shouldn't be a scientist I'm going to go to the kitchen and get a husband what the actual fuck. Yeah, and then, Surely even in 1967 that was outdated then surely. Yeah and this is the the main protagonist of the film arguably as well and her, her, her sort of love interest who's also one of the main protagonists goes I'll have a bit of that and runs after her at the end. It's all a oh, bit. Oh he did. It's all a bit poor but yeah I mean even for 1967 it's questionable at best as to why that was why that decision was made i i don't have an answer and it was frustrating because it was completely unnecessary they could have ended the film a minute earlier without the little woman going to the fucking kitchen yeah 100 percent. and even even in 1967 or wherever we are I just think we're a a little bit past that even then. Mm, Yeah, I think you're right. So 31 minutes before we get a monster, I was starting to lose my temper. To be fair, Mark, they did go big on character, didn't they? With them very not at all two-dimensionally drawn uh, tribes people inhabiting the island. You know, they, they really fleshed out those characters in that time. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was uh, pretty, pretty grim stuff to watch in, in 2021 as well. But, um, you know, I guess we are watching it with 2021 eyes, thankfully. We are. And I think there's an element of even more fondly remembered and more famous monster films. This This plot's quite similar to King Kong, and the natives in that are not great either, let's be blunt. No. No, not at all. You're absolutely right. So it's, it's a product of its time and genre, um, unfortunately. And, and the problem, I guess, is, and I think um, King Kong's a great example, and I'm glad you outlined it, is that when 
any film is successful on the scale of, let's say, King Kong, it creates imitators. We've seen this throughout cinema. Halloween was a very successful slasher film. Look at all the slasher films that followed in the eighties. And if that's mm. if that's established in the in in quoted brackets masterpiece that begins the cycle, then those things are only going to be played up to more and copycatted throughout the the films that are inspired by and ripping it off from that point onwards. Yeah, and I, I don't remember it being any nicer in King Kong than it was in this. It was, I get it. It was more kind of for plot than anything, but it was still just icky. Yeah, for sure. Icky's the word. It's, um, it's uncomfortable viewing for sure. Um, and it's, it's just unfortunate, but that's the, that's the way that, the genre kind of went about itself then. Unfortunately, these things were, were just par for the course. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably accurate. And I don't think anyone with half a brain rewatching these things now will do anything other than go, Oh, fuck's sake, blackface. Oh, fuck's sake, racial stereotypes. Oh, fuck's sake, bad dubbing. I don't think anyone will go into it thinking this is a great film. They'll go into it for the fun and the retroness and the the campery, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think these films, you know, they 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 don't find mainstream audience um, are considered to be classics in any sense uh, for a reason. And you know, these things are that reason. They are relegated to the dustbin of history in a lot of ways for, for exactly these kind of things. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to move on. Bad stuff is bad, okay. Yeah, exactly. Amen. So, remind me how you described the gappers. Was it something to do with parrots? Yeah, they, they're just like giant, roided-up parrots, aren't they? Basically, um, they've, got, they've got big old beaks. They don't look particularly scary or threatening. You know, Godzilla, they are not. No. The, the, the sort of the firing of fiery fire out of their beaks did pop me uh, when they were yeah. attacking the cities, you know, because you, you've got to have it in this kind of film. Yeah, it's just basically the plot of King Kong, but with two of them. But with what I put in my notes as Beaky Godzilla. Yeah, fair. Exactly Beaky Godzilla. Yeah, it's like, I think at this point in the cycle, they were kind of just someone in a Toho office or similar was sat there saying, right, which weird animal have we not made large yet? <laughs> Let's flick through the handbook. Oh, someone did lizards last week. We can't do them. Let's go. Let's go with a parrot. I do, I do feel it's a bit like they got like like they got a Rodan and a Godzilla and smushed them together. I do feel that's kind of what we got here. Yeah, hundred percent. There's a strong element of that involved. So, Beaky Godzilla. We now know that. Birds have evolved from dinosaurs. And I am absolutely sure, because I fucking loved dinosaurs, that I did not know that as a kid. No, I mean, I didn't know that as a kid either. And to be honest with you, that's something I've only found out fairly recently. I mean, yeah. within the last 10 years. So I guess, I guess, you know, props to Gapper for correctly researching the lineage of uh, dinosaurs. Maybe, maybe yeah. T-Rexes really did actually have beaks and looked a bit like this dude with his little weird mohawk. 
and they called them bird lizards, which I think is fucking fascinating because for me, until maybe I was 30, there was no association with birds and dinosaurs. So this bird lizards thing, I actually looked this up and it turns out it became more public knowledge of the feathers with dinosaurs and the kind of evolution of dinosaurs to birds with a study of a dinosaur called Archaeopteryx in the 1970s. Right. Now, I remember Archaeopteryx being the flying dinosaur that had feathers. I do remember that. And I grew up in the 80s. There was no Archaeopteryx is the link between the dinosaurs and birds as a kind of progression. So... Yeah, this was either predicting or they got some serious fucking knowledge that the public didn't generally have. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it might be accidental. I mean, I've just been doing a little bit of research here while you've been chatting. Um, The director of this film uh, was a a chap called Hiroshi Noguchi, who in a 10-year period directed 37 films. Bloody hell. Um, so I don't know how much time they had for research on on Gapper, although this was his, his <laughs> this was the penultimate film of his career. Um, he only made one film after this, so maybe maybe that he spent maybe this was his passion project that he'd been building up to for <laughs> for the ten years previously. If, if this is his passion project, what kind of shite did he make before it? Well, he did make a film called Cats, Girls, Gamblers in 1965. Which, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Cats, Girls, Gamblers. That yeah. sounds that sounds bloody awful. I wonder if they all appear in that order. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I don't really need the girls or the gamblers, to be honest with you. Just the cats. Yeah. But then you'd just be watching cats. and uh... Oh, not that fucking cats. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> I, I tried. I got about 10 minutes in and I was like, nope. I watched the trailer and I thought I was on some hallucinogenic drugs, um, which, I, <laughs> which I wasn't. I mean, I really wasn't. And I've, I, nor have I ever in my life. Uh, yeah, I feel like that might have been the effect that they have on you. Oh, well, that's probably why we shouldn't do, don't do, drug, don't do drugs, kids. Exactly. You heard it here first. Yeah. So we've talked briefly about animal cruelty already, but... When they were electrocuting the baby Gapper, I was like, oh, I don't like it. I know that it was a shit puppet, really, but it looked generally, genuinely quite sad. Oh, come on, Mark. To quote Brian Connolly from the 90s, it's only a puppet. It'll be fine. (laughs) There's a a 90s TV deep cut for you. (laughs) Yeah, I I know what you mean, though. I think it's the implication of of the fact that it it is an animal in the narrative. Um, but it's not just an animal, it's a baby animal. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, didn't like that very much. I keep saying that things I didn't like. I, I, I really did quite enjoy this film. How about you? Do you know what? I quite enjoyed it as well. It, it got a little bit repetitious through the middle, and it kind of did, <laughs> to say the least. Um, and it, I, I, I sort of waned a little bit in the middle. I think I made a cup of tea. And you missed nothing. I missed nothing. Yeah, but generally, it was good fun. You know, I quite, I quite liked the. Uh, I, quite, I always quite like a sort of naff, sort of fifty, sixty style exploding volcano that's a model. Um, so that was yeah. that was popcorns for me straight away. But yeah, I thought it was fun. 
so once it got going, it really was just monster action and explosions all the way. It was about 40 minutes in before, 45 minutes in maybe, where you started to get the monster action. But it was kind of relentless monster action after that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. It's like, it's like they got sort of a third of the way through the shoot, maybe halfway through the shoot, and they thought, right, fuck it, let's trash everything. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of heartwarming that mum and dad go to try and find baby and nothing gets in their way. They just smash it or yeah. shoot electro breath at it or whatever. No, exactly. So we finally get to one hour and 17 minutes in, and that is where we see the footage that is in Red Dwarf. Not that you were counting down the moments until you got your gapper action. Well, I was like, where the fuck is this clip? And there was only like 20 minutes left in the film. I was like, shit, is it like, like, wasn't actually in this film? It's something that they cut out of this film or something. One hour and 17 minutes in, we get the uh, the stuff that was on Red Dwarf. Yeah. It's a, it's a long wait for uh, to get your five seconds of uh, Red Dwarf reference for this episode in, but you, <laughs> you you got there in the end, Mark, and that's all that really did. matters. Something I was kind of expecting and didn't see, there's, there's zero monster versus monster. Yes. Well, it's not that kind of film, is it? It's not monster no. versus monster action. It's monster versus knobhead scientists. And let's not forget the uh, guy who runs... Playgirl magazine or whatever it's called. Brilliant. Um, yeah, that's um, that that felt a little bit like lawsuit bait. I have to say, it was very close to uh, the title of a, a famous real life magazine. Yes, but um, I, I guess because it was Japanese, they could get away with it. I don't know. Yeah, different time, nineteen sixty-seven. No one cared about mm. copyright. Fuck it. Let's just call it what we want. Yeah, and um. I did have a look. I couldn't see a sequel. So I don't think we've ever had Gapper versus anybody. No, um, I think unbelievably this uh, this masterpiece doesn't seem to have spawned a, fr- spawned a franchise. <laughs> Let's get it rebooted. Let's get fucking Brian Cranston in it and get it rebooted. I mean, there's the, the one original element in it is it is the mummy and daddy go and save baby as opposed to just one monster it's kind of like a tag team kind of smashing up tokyo Uh, you know and they're working together that's quite i don't think i've seen that in any of the other films i've seen so that's the one original element of it but there is precious little originality in this film (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that's an unfair criticism to make, Mark, to be honest. I think you've been very gentle there. Um, It is, yeah, it is, we've seen every frame of it about 50 times before, but it it was good fun. It was good fun. I think so. And also, the reconciliation at the end was genuinely lovely, and they taught Baby Gapper how to fly, and I was like, oh, Baby Gapper. Yeah, that was all very sweet, wasn't it? It was, um, it had some really sweet moments, and... And um, yeah, I, th- I think it's 
that relationship was was quite unusual for a film of this type. Because uh, as you say, mm. it wasn't monster versus monster, but there was this kind of family unit involved with the gappers. Uh, it was a, it was which was genuinely quite interesting. Um, I didn't read anything about the film until I started watching it, and I assumed that it was just going to be you know the the gapper was the name of the monster, and that's going to be the monster that's fighting something else. I, you know the the fact that it was two of them and there were parents and there was a child uh, caught me slightly off guard. I think it was the name of the species of monster, wasn't it, in the end? Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. But, I mean, the, the title of the film implies also that it's just a one, one dude called a gapper. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a, a not unpleasant surprise. Yeah. I, I would like to shout out the, the puppet work, which I thought was solid. Uh, you know, we've not really touched on that, um, other than, other than um, when we were discussing the scene where... Where the baby was been electrocuted, I think the, the puppet works pretty pretty solid for what it is throughout. You know, it's a bloke, yeah. in a, it's a bloke in a suit, but um, it's certainly no weaker than any of its contemporaries. Um, I guess I think that was the sort of one one thing I wanted to touch on. But yeah, it was, genuinely, it was as Matt Commode would say, it fulfilled the requirements of its genre. I'd agree with that. It was fun, it was naff, and it was exactly what I wanted from the style of film I knew I was sitting down to watch. Precisely. I would absolutely concur. So, if you are a weirdo that is that into Red Dwarf, that you would use it as inspiration to go and watch a film from 1967 with kind of beaky Godzilla giant parent bad guys. Well, good guys, really. Yeah, you should watch it. If you don't like monster films, there is literally no reference to Red Dwarf here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a one and done from an episode of Red Dwarf, which I did watch this morning uh, to colour my context. Uh, and I think I had seen it before a very long time ago. Side note, it's a good episode, I thought. I enjoyed it. It's not a particularly fondly regarded one, actually. Is it not? Because I thought it was quite good fun. I thought it had a lot of the sort of... The, the lot of the red dwarfisms that that people come to love, so that surprises me slightly. I don't hate it, but it's certainly not a favourite of mine. Sure. Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure having a chat about a dumb film with you. Likewise, it's almost like you know we've both presented podcasts about dumb films in the past. And you still do? Yeah, exactly. It's almost like we've been here before. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I still think this is a stupid thing to do for Shipwrecked and Comatose. But I don't care because I find it funny. So, Rob, where can people find you on the internet? Shill your shit? Shill my shit. So, I, you can find um, the Cinemortuary podcast on Twitter at Cinemortuary. You can find us on Instagram at Cinemortuary, and if you pop, if you're Facebook aware, savvy, if you're still in the world of Facebook, if you type in the Cinemortuary podcast there, you will find us there also. I'm all over the We Made This Podcast Network, and I talk about it all the time on this podcast at this segment of the show. But if you do like me talking about weird and wonderful horror films and bad sci-fi and that sort of thing. The podcast isn't going anymore, but it is still available on all your Spotify's and Apple. Have a look for Super Tap Film Club for lots of me talking about dumb films. So thank you very much for joining us for this 
indulgent episode of Shipwrecked and Comatose. Thank you for joining us, Rob. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's been fun, mate. And until next time... Giant, big-beaked, bloody parrot. Shipwrecked and Comatose, a Red Dwarf podcast, was created and produced by Mark Adams and Kurt North. You can find us on Twitter at Red Dwarf Pod, and we are part of the We Made This Podcast Network, which can be found online at WeMadeThisPod.com or on Twitter at WeMadeThisPod. Hello, everyone. This is Tony, Network Chief of We Made This. As you know, our podcast network brings together a brilliant assortment of talent who talk about all kinds of pop culture content, such as the episode you just listened to. We're not going anywhere, but we'd love to keep the lights on for even longer if you're able to support our network on Patreon. For just £2 a month, you get your name in lights and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping us produce more great audio. And for £3 a month, you'll get your name in lights, but you'll also get access to an exclusive bi-monthly podcast from the We Made This Talent Pool on podcasting, pop culture, and, well, you tell us. We'll take your suggestions. For less than the price of a coffee per month, you can help keep We Made This going. Just head to patreon.com forward slash we made this. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash we made this. And get the ball rolling. Elsewhere on We Made This. Chucky Vision. That's the biggest difference, I think, between all the other franchises, is that they all start, you know, the first Nightmare on Elm Street is Wes Craven's idea. The first Halloween is John Carpenter's vision. Yeah. Whereas Child's Play starts off this studio film, almost. And then as it goes on, they give more and more free reign to the creator and it becomes its own thing. Yeah, and I think that's more likely what we'll see with the Chucky TV series, which is basically the reason why we started doing this podcast. Observing the pattern, a fringe podcast. I, th- I think the complete opposite to, to seeing yourself represented would be to see yourself overrepresented and just have it lashed into your face that there's a disabled person on the screen. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's you know, oh look, this person's gay. We're gonna tell you that he's gay every time he's on the screen. You know, that's not okay. Just let them be there, man. That's how it is in real life. They're just there. Yeah. You know, and I, I think she she plays it very well. Pretty fly. 90s nostalgia podcast. No, but she seems so lovely about it. It was like, that's my name, don't wear it out. And I'm like, ha ha, funny. That's what mums do. They're lovely even when they cut you down. <laughs> you know, like even with the, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed type thing, you know? I need to go have a serious talk with my I don't know. I, I've never met Mrs. Nicholson, so but it might be worth exploring that. <laughs> hey mum, in the mid-90s, were you sick of my shit? Did you hate me? She told me that she loved me, but... <laughs> Apparently, you can hated me, Mum, because you said, that's my name, don't wear it out. And you said it so nicely that I thought it was fine. But you 
lied to me. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network. <laughs>